0: Hello and welcome to the debut episode of the Seconds Flat Podcast, presented to you by Run In at 1942 Augusta Street in Greenville, South Carolina, your Greenville running specialist for 15 years. I'm Travis, your host, and I am joined tonight by my dear friend, our local resident stats geek, all-around good guy, Ben Sessions. Ben, how you doing tonight, big fella?
1: Man, I'm just tickled to be here. We
0: are tickled to have you, my friend. So let's kick it off here. Uh, We are going to be looking ahead to a fun time on our podcast. We're going to have race recaps, interviews, analysis coming to you here regularly. Uh, We're going to try to focus a little bit on the local race scene here in the upstate and western North Carolina, but also give you a sense of what's happening nationally and around the world. The last month has been pretty sensational on the road racing and track scene, It has been monumental for American distance runners, and that starts in Boston about three weeks ago on that start line in Hopkinton, 26.2 miles away from the finish on Boylston, uh, the 122nd Boston Marathon, kicking off, as always, 10 a.m. with the earlier start for the elite women, and the elite women are where we start our coverage, Des Linden, wow two thirty nine fifty four. we have an american champion and uh i'll tell you when i was leaving the race i uh, met with my parents and i uh i didn't want to know who won and uh it kind of slipped out from somebody in the hotel that an American had won, and I was not expecting Des. I thought Des might do all the work and not be the one to win.
1: I think everyone expected it to be someone except Des.
0: Yeah, I think the the other three from what might be the new American women's big four—Molly uh, Huddle, Shalane Flanagan, New York City champ Jordan we uh, were more likely to be those names. You know, we uh, we've seen Des run so well up there before a second in 2011 but uh, she's always done a bunch of work without the victory and it was really great to see her win and to see the emotion on her husband's face as she made that final turn onto Boylston Um, she was a fitting champion for what was a terrible day in New England I think
1: that finish line hug was my favorite part between her, her husband, and manager Josh Cox. I was
0: going to say, Josh Cox might have gotten a little more of the hug than uh, Desi <laughs> bargained for, uh, but it was a great moment for them, and, and a great moment for Americans in general. Uh, six of the top ten men and seven of the top ten women's runners um, were Americans that day, and... Uh, In particular, some great success for, uh, of course, Brooks Hansen's with with Desi getting the win, uh, but also Zap Fitness here uh, nearby in uh, Blowing Rock, North Carolina. Uh,
1: They had a a great day.
0: Uh, Talk
1: a little bit more about their results, Ben. Yeah, so they had one big performance on the women's side with Nicole DiMercurio placing fifth in the elite race, sixth overall because a non-elite runner actually ran a faster time than her. Just a cool thing about Nicole is that she actually worked here at Runnin' and was on the Greenville Track Club Elite Team, so definitely some local love for her. Yeah,
0: making the upstate proud, baby.
1: And then on the men's side, they had Tyler Pennell, placed fourth in the Elite Race. He was a Division Two athlete in college and actually won a U.S. Marathon Championship title a few years ago, but has struggled with injury since then. So it was pretty cool to see him back up in the mix.
0: Yeah, and those are two groups that, while they go to uh, Florida in in the cold weather months uh, and prepare for uh, potential heat in Boston, which certainly has been valuable the past couple of years, they are training in tough weather conditions. Uh, blowing rock is up in the mountains. It can be cold, windy, wet, snowy, and that was certainly invaluable uh, on what was a a wet, raw, Freezing, windy day. Um, I was out on the course, and uh, there were times when I couldn't feel or felt like I couldn't see right in front of me. Uh, the wind was gusting, the rain was pouring down in sheets. I uh, got a little bit of freezing rain at one point. I knew I was in for it on the bus ride out to Hopkinton. Um, when there was still plenty of snow on the roadside, and uh, you know, people had spent the whole weekend worried about the conditions, and it, it's beyond our control. And and it was such a test of mental focus and discipline. Um, and I think the people who succeeded that day, particularly the winners uh, like Des Linden and our boy Yuki, who we'll talk about in a minute here. Uh, used those conditions to their advantage they considered the other runners who were mentally shutting down to be already defeated and they moved and attacked and you have to take a day like that and say i'm prepared i've trained i'm ready for these conditions i know what i can do i trust my training i trust my taper all those elements and um the folks that, that I know who, who embraced that attitude had successful days and, and, and I was incredibly pleased with, with my race as well um, and, and I'll, I'll share a little bit of strategy for, for the folks who, uh, who are, who are going to be there in, in the future um, you know, and I take this in part from legendary coach Bill Squires with the Greater Boston Track Club uh, but also the good folks over at Running Rogue in Austin who do tremendous work Um, It's really about being patient, that that steep downhill early. Um, Folks are in such a rush to get out and there's so much excitement and people are weaving back and forth across the road and and trying to get from, from aid station to aid station and just being patient early then getting into that marathon pace. And when I hit halfway, that was the first time I really tried to take a check of where am I, and I was right on what I wanted. Um, uh, When I kind of recalibrated the night before of what my goals were, I I ended up um, hitting about three seconds off at the halfway point of what I had hoped I could do. Uh, Then it's through the hills, you know, steady effort there, and that's when the people start to come back to you. Uh, as you move through the four hills in Newton, and, and what you have to remember about the Newton Hills, it's not just an uphill. There are flats and there are downhills you can use uh, if if you're patient and and steady, and then you can get aggressive out of Heartbreak Hill, and for me, from 35 to 40K was the strongest portion of the race, my, my fastest split, and uh, I faded a little bit in the, in the home stretch, but uh, overall... I think that approach, regardless of the weather, can work. And I think with the weather, it was so much more helpful because it kept me under control
1: early. Speaking of uh, staying in control early, I'm just interested, since you are the top South Carolina finisher (laughs) in the race, uh, what was the difference between the first and second half of the race for you, speaking from a time?
0: Yeah, I I was actually a little quicker in the second half. Uh, I think I went negative split by almost a minute. Wow. and I don't necessarily know that that's the, the optimal way to approach it. I think given the weather for that day, it was for me. Uh, I do think that an even split at Boston is really a negative effort. And, and so maybe uh, with, with better weather, uh, I get out a little faster and still try to hold on to that. But for the conditions for the day... I think it worked out well and and uh, was a great experience. And that's the thing that, that you get at Boston, is regardless of the day, regardless of your result, uh, you leave knowing you're a finisher at the Boston Marathon. And in particular, I can say 2018, learned from my past experiences, uh, focused in on my race, and survived some just downright ungodly Conditions, But there was a man who more than survived those conditions. He thrived. He thrived, my friend. Uh, our boy Yuki, uh, the citizen runner, champion 2018 Boston Marathon 215.58. The people's champ. The people's champ, that's right. Uh, I'll tell you who didn't expect it, everyone at NBC. Um, <laughs> as Yuki surged out early, uh, I was, of course running myself.
1: But Ben was here watching. A little taste of the commentary, Ben. What kind of things did they have to say at NBC? Well, like you said, they did not take Yuki seriously at all, saying he would feel a piano on his back with 10k to go after that super fast 437 first mile.
0: Yeah, I want that piano on my back if that's what he was running with. Um, And yeah, there was definitely some doubting. I know in in watching the uh, recap of the coverage later and, and all the reruns that I've watched it since um, they they did not see Yuki maybe necessarily as a legitimate challenger because they seem to have given it to uh, last year's champion karui who uh, is is a total stud uh, and and took the lead and looked to be very much in control
1: but was it too early
0: uh, yeah that's the question he moved earlier this year than he did last you know that that was a, a different approach that that he took and, and Uh, Maybe he felt that he could. Uh, Maybe he felt it was too slow, regardless of the weather.
1: I think interesting with Karui and uh, Yuki, both of them had their race plans focused on one man, Galen Rupp. Yuki intended to make it a fast race and break him early, knowing he couldn't get away from his speed at the end. And I wonder if that's what was playing through Karui's mind when he made that move, was to get away early, knowing that Galen in uh, pre-race interviews had said he'd been working on his finishing speed. And apparently Yuki was making a move, too, but we didn't get to
0: see it, uh, given the coverage on NBC.
1: Thanks, NBC.
0: Yeah, um, they, instead of going to split screen, cut away, and and it was fantastic to to see Desi Linden coming down Boylston to win that race. Uh, But next thing we know, we come back, and Yuki's in the lead. No pianos. Yes, no pianos for Yuki. Uh, He felt great, surged late, looked fantastic. A really cool story with Yuki. For the people who don't know Yuki, uh, this guy is incredible. He's got the world record for most marathons run sub-220. He's out there racing virtually constantly. He actually flew back to Japan after the win on Monday and by the next weekend was racing again competitively in a half marathon. Uh, He was in Massachusetts On New Year's Day, to run a sub 220 in virtually arctic conditions, uh, in which he ended the race on an ice covered track, Um, a true warrior racer and it'll be really fun to see what he can do in the future but this is a man who savored the conditions when he was asked about the weather afterwards he said the day it was just it was perfect for him this was the day he was made to run and he ends a drought for Japanese men that was similar to the drought that ended for American women with Des Linden being the first American woman to win since 1985. Uh, Back to Rupp as you were talking about Obviously it was a difficult day for Galen. He drops out somewhere a little after the 30k mark. He never really looked right once guys started to move. Uh, he seemed to be struggling a little bit. Uh, the official statement is dropped out with, with asthma and hypothermia symptoms. And certainly he wouldn't be alone as a huge number of leads dropped out on the day and led to some of the surprises in the finishes that we saw. Uh, but Rupp's failure at Boston, if you want to call it that, certainly it was a learning experience that he took with him because he bounced back uh, here just this weekend and to book in the past three weeks of racing in Prague. Yesterday morning, it was Galen Rupp first, the champion in two oh six oh seven, 7 after an extended duel um, with Sisse Lema who we also defeated in Chicago last fall, but who did run uh, a 2.04 low in Dubai this winter, so certainly a a fast runner. Great scalp. That's right. Um, uh, Rupp's time here drops over three minutes off his PR from from last year at Chicago and really was the first situation he's been in where we went into more of a um, not just strategic racing situation, but instead where he took some of the lead a bit earlier. Uh, They traded back and forth at times over the last 10K and certainly had a bit more of a time trial feel to it as we had pacers involved. Uh, But with that said, Prague is not the course that we see in London or Berlin where people are typically chase fast times. Uh, So with this finish, a first place, another international marathon victory for Rupp, In a PR time, we have to look at what this means for him going forward. So where does this rank rup in the pantheon of American greats,
1: Benji? So in the last 10 years, Galen is my choice as the top U.S. marathoner. Close calls would be Ryan Hall and Meb. I think they're a close two and three, but Galen's performance at the Olympics, his success at nearly every marathon he's lined up to sets him above them. It's worth noting Khalid Knucci ten years ago, American record holder, Moroccan transplant. Arguably uh a better marathoner than Galen since he's ran faster. And then you have the greats of the seventies and eighties as well, with Frank Shorter Alberto Salazar, and your boy, Boston Billy.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're really making a definitive statement about where Rupp ranks here all time. That was a lot of names you put out there. Boston (laughs) Billy is my guy. I I love what Bill Rogers did, in in part because I love that race, Um, and... And also, in ways I feel for him, given the Olympic boycott in 1980 that limited his opportunity to uh, maybe be as great as he could have been, as it did to some other runners of that era, uh, legends like Craig Virgin and Greg Meyer. Um, I, I do disagree with you a little bit. I think I still take Meb. And, and maybe some of that is is emotional, um, <laughs> given his performance at Boston the year after the bombing. Uh, he, but he does have that Boston victory that I think carries a lot of weight. He does also have an Olympic medal, the longevity of his career. Uh, but I, I agree. Rupp is right there. A- and given that he's still in the peak of his career. I think that gives him the opportunity to pass a lot of those names uh, that, that you listed there. But he's on the short list uh, when, when you go from from Frank Shorter in 72 uh, through today, 45-plus uh, years uh, of American distance running uh, since the, the Shorter gold medal. Uh, you can't go very far down that list before you mention uh, Galen Rupp. Now, let's uh, take this context and shift a little bit, and where do you see him globally among his contemporaries?
1: I believe he's in the A- minus group when it comes to elite marathoning.
0: Those are grades you would have taken gladly.
1: No doubt. (laughs) But I think what's keeping him from it is he hasn't gone to a super fast marathon like Berlin yet. Prague was fast, but it was almost watered down at the top. There wasn't anyone there that Galen shouldn't have been able to hang with, and I'd like to see him go up against a 203, a 204 guy, someone that's really, really going to try and break him on a 203, 204 race. Okay, so let's build on that in two ways. Who are the A-level guys? Oh, well, you have to go with Kipchoge.
0: Yeah, Kipchoge, nice. uh, Bekele.
1: Definitely. Uh, Keep saying even when he's on, he is on.
0: Yeah, inconsistent over recent races,
1: but I would put him there. I also believe that Adola, who had that amazing performance at Berlin last year, could be thrown into that mix, and I think we'll begin to start to see that in the coming years. Yeah,
0: that was a fantastic performance, but do you really consider a, that a one you know, one performance like that an A-level marathoner?
1: 203, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's a stud, and he pushed Kipchoge, uh, but I think we've seen all... Our fair number of flash-in-the-pan guys, and I'm not saying that about
1: him at all. I think he has a great future. Um, But
0: we've seen some guys run some pretty hot times before.
1: Definitely, with Cameto most recently not being able to find his success and running, what was it, 214, 216 at Chicago last year? Yeah,
0: his post-world record performances have been some serious duds. Uh, And Adola did struggle um, recently in, in London. But uh, yeah, he definitely has a bright future, and I guess he's in the discussion. So let's now build off what you said earlier and go in another direction here about about the course that he raced it. Uh, Not the fastest, so what do we want to see from him next? Is it going to be another fast course? Is it going to be a racing situation like Boston, which he seems to really enjoy? What would you want to see next from Rub?
1: I would... Kill to see Galen run the Berlin Marathon.
0: I don't know if I'm that passionate about it, but I too <laughs> think Berlin would be really fun, just with the speed and and given the the other runners who are going to be there.
1: Definitely. That being said, though, with his coach's history at the New York Marathon. I could see that being where he goes next.
0: Yes, yeah, Salazar's success in New York is is worth mentioning, and, and winning another American major would be really cool. Uh, and then, you know, you got to think that Chicago's in play as well. Just given his victory there last year, he may want to defend. He may want the appearance fees. Who knows? Uh, but I think we both agree it's all building towards Tokyo 2020, where he's going to get to face off with some of these guys. Uh, who who we just mentioned as the A-level runners. Now, in between Boston and Prague, we had a a race that got some serious hype in London. Uh, We were talking about world records on both the men's and women's sides. And while I was pretty fired up to wake up early and watch the coverage, it turned out to be a bit of a flop. Um, there, There was great racing, but the attack on the world record lasted all of about... Five to ten k in the men's race uh, when they got burnt up early at that blistering pace, um, and in the women's race, it it certainly um, affected the outcome as the heavy favorite going in didn't win. Uh, hot day in London. Hot pace in London. Hot pace in London. Was not adjusting for that pacing given the conditions. A mistake.
1: It was for everybody except Elowid Kipchoge, the strongest guy in the field by far, the most composed. I I mean, he is the monk of distance running. If anyone was going to survive that torrent of a pace, it was going to be him.
0: Yeah, that that first 5K sub-14, and he looked really under control, and there were a good number of guys running with him. Um maybe it wasn't the best idea for most of them because they certainly paid down the road. Um in the women's race it, it cost Mary Katani um a shot at a victory as she fell apart late in the race. A- and I, I think there is something to be said for continuing that push for the world record and and Kipchoge may have been even pushing for a little bit more as hot as they went out there early. Um so there, there is a, a level of some, some bravery and bravado to, to keep that uh, assault on the world record going, uh, but it seems that London, which was a course where we saw some world records set, has not been the venue lately. Maybe it is going to be Berlin again where they make another pursuit for the record, and they have in the past, and while neither of us expected it, it would be cool to see Rupp in that mix there later in the year. Let's get back to Kipchoge. Third win at London. Uh, incredibly consistent exe- success at the marathon distance. 204.17 in this one. Um, over a minute off his uh, certified racing personal best. He, of course, has the near two hour marathon in the Nike Breaking Two stunt race from last spring. Is he the greatest of all time?
1: He is the go. He's missing the T on the end of that goat for me. He's missing the time, the world record. As soon as he runs a ratified world record, in my opinion, he will be the marathon goat.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I think that you know, we can discuss a lot of guys who have had tremendous success at varying levels and great winning streaks, which is one of the things that Kipchoge has right now, that some of the greats all-time can't match. Uh, but it's still a discussion. Uh, You still have, of course, as you said, another man holding the world record. Uh, You have tremendous success from from Kenanisa Bekele, and and some of his track numbers might be what elevate him in the
1: discussion. Uh, And then you have Gebra Selassie, who set the marathon standard and broke down all these walls that people thought were impossible to tear down.
0: Yeah, and and that's a great point, the the kind of Bannister-esque qualities that come with that uh, of... It's not necessarily opening the floodgates. I am not out there pushing two hours, Yet. but that's right. But you're seeing uh, a, an increased level of competition at really quick paces, uh, and it's it's really fun to see the, this uh, assault on the low two hour times. One of the guys who went out with Kipchoge and had a really great day uh, is Sir Mo. Uh, Mohammed,
1: as he goes by now on that, the roads. That's
0: right, Mafara two o six twenty one for third place in a new UK record. That breaks the old record of uh, three decades plus old record of Steve Jones, and um, some cool parallels. Jones was certainly a gritty runner, and uh, Mo just hanging on to that pack, even uh, despite some some issues throughout the race. Uh, gave an effort reminiscent uh, of Jones. And, and so he emerges now On the marathon stage uh, Trying to match some of the incredible accomplishments Really uh, as good as anybody of this generation on the track And it leads to my favorite European marathoning discussion Who's at the top of European marathoning? Is it Mo or Moen? That's Mo Farah or Sandre Moen Benji, your thoughts
1: I say time trial effort, smooth, fast course. I'm going to give it to Mohamed Farah. He's proven himself on the track. He has a smooth, bouncy stride, but in adverse conditions, hills, anything of that nature, I'm giving it to Moen. Growing up on a farm, training in Kenya, he's just a tougher, grittier runner. Uh, I like his running style. He's very much a cross-country guy in the way he runs, And I think in any sort of adverse conditions, I'm giving it to Moen. Way to hedge your bets,
0: as always. We appreciate the hard-hitting commitment (laughs) to selecting the better runner of the two. Uh, For a little background on Sandre Moen, for the folks who don't know him, because he has really popped onto uh, the stage over the last year. -year 27-year-old Norwegian, who in the past year has set PRs at 27.55 in the 10K. 59.48 59.48 and the half and 205.48 uh, in the marathon. That's the European record. Set that in Japan in December, uh, becoming the first European to go sub 206. And so that number holds tremendous weight in this discussion. Uh, It would be really fun to see them go head-to-head. Moen has said that his focus for this year is a little bit to target back on the track at the 10K. He's looking at the Oslo Diamond League meet to try to set a Norwegian 10K record. Uh, He is also looking at the European Championships in Berlin. He has just gotten back onto the track. He had a a win just last weekend, uh, not on the track, excuse me, but on the roads in the 10K and uh, coming off some illness earlier in the year, so we had to pull out of the uh, World Half Marathon Championships. But he is definitely a guy to look at heading into his future. But can anybody else join the conversation? Because maybe this isn't a two-man duel. Who else would you see stepping onto that stage, Ben?
1: So along with this discussion of who is arriving, it's funny you mentioned the World Half Marathon Championships. Because while uh, Moen's figure was not there we did have another european stud and 22 year old swiss julian wanders uh julian wanders is a 22 year old switzerland native who currently lives and trains in kenya he placed eighth at that world half marathon championships and boasts a pb of 60 minutes and 09 seconds for the half marathon
0: that's just nine seconds for the layman go ahead ben
1: He's also ran 28.06 for the 10,000 on the track and slightly faster in the 10 on the roads. Um, I think we're seeing where Mo is on the decline of his career, um, arguably. I I
0: think that is fair. It might not be true in the marathon uh, as he he shifts his focus um, and moving up in distance. You know, he's clearly not the same 5K, 10K runner he was in 2012 at London, but Um, I think he's got a couple pretty good marathons in him. I think Moen's right at the top of his marathoning game if he's healthy, uh, coming into uh, his own under Coach Canova training in Kenya. Uh, But, yeah, I I love Wanders largely for his hair. Uh, The man's beautiful. (laughs) And uh, I do think he could potentially be in the discussion because, as you said, that half marathon time uh, at his age is, is really showing some potential for the future.
1: Uh, we'll definitely see him for years to come. And if you want to see more of Wander's, you should check out his Instagram, at Julian underscore Wander's. He posts videos of him training all the time and lays out details and specifics of his training.
0: Yeah, that's actually the biggest reason I love him. Uh, he doesn't fear sharing what's going on. There's no hidden secrets there's no perfect workout exactly quentin yeah and uh and with that uh he's being transparent showing you what his training looks like and, and having fun with it and we can all learn from that and hopefully elevate the sport so let's uh switch it here away from the roads and head to the track we have uh seen some pretty big performances on the track in America here over this three-week period as well. Let's focus it in first on what we know fondly as Relay Weekend. There is not much better in my life than when I sit down on the couch with a slice of pizza and a glass of pineapple juice and I flip on the pin relays and the Drake Relays together on a Saturday, all-day coverage on NBC Sports Network. Now, this year, though, we had a newcomer on the stage. That is the Arkansas National Relay, and I look back at it as really a watered-down relay weekend uh, with very few of the elites competing against each other as teams were split up around the country. I guess the question is,
1: Are the new Arkansas National Relays bad for the sport? I believe so, and I'm not the only one who does. Uh, If you listen to any of the Penn Relay coverage, you heard the NBC announcers criticizing the National Relay from taking participants from such a historic meet. Also, if you looked at the stands during the Arkansas National Relay, there were large sections completely empty during the most exciting races of the meet. It seems like the Power 5 is more like a power trip right now.
0: Yeah, there is certainly a bit of a power and money grab, it felt like, there. Um, And it it did also feel like it made each of the relay events a bit more regional. Uh, The Drake relays... Uh, had a real Big Ten feel to them. Arkansas had SEC and, and, and Midwest influence more. Penn Relays certainly had that East Coast uh, influence, but there were still some great performances. Um, let's start at Penn, and let's stick with the distance events here. I think the, uh, the dominance in, in those distance relays by Villanova is the big story from Penn. Uh, ben, what were your takeaways there uh, from the success from an historic program in Villanova?
1: It was great to see Villanova do so well at what they consider their home track meet. Um, a large part of the success in their 4x1600 and their DMR relays go to having a healthy Ben Malone back in his 345 1500 shape and sophomore Casey Comer coming from seemingly nowhere having a fantastic performance out kicking big names all weekend. A little bit about Casey. He in the 1500 has ran 345. Has ran the mile in 404 and recently at Raleigh went 1406 in the 5,000. Good, respectable times for a sophomore, but he was out kicking plenty of All Americans in Bartlesmeyer from Georgetown, uh, D2 national champion Get a Booty from Adams State. Neguse, the freshman from Notre Dame, and standout Chart Miller from Iona.
0: Yeah, he hammered against some studs there. It was it was pretty cool, and it was really great to see, one, the on-track response of the Villanova uh, runners as they won those events.
1: And as, then in the stands. And
0: then in the stands. The the, the joy was equaled in the stands. Um there was some pretty neat stuff. Great crowd, of course, local crowd for, for Nova. Um, How about that
1: handsome Aussie face that Yeah, was but, there?
0: but a famous recent alum, uh, Patrick Tiernan, uh, leading the charge in the stands there. Uh, the, the Nova crowd was almost as boisterous as the ever-present Jamaican sprint crowd that shows up at the Penn relays. Uh, let's shift over to the Drake relays and... Jenny Simpson. Jenny Simpson on top of the, the Drake relays with a two mile American record in 9.16.78. Really great performance from her. Uh, last lap, 63 seconds. Pretty special performance from her. Uh, attempted to follow it up with a 3K record uh, performance at Doha in the Diamond League last Friday. And uh, she fell a little short there, really ran a nice race, but, but fell a little short of, of the American record uh, of Mary Slaney. And uh, Jenny looks like she has come out with a great start to the spring track season and may be looking at uh, that 5K in an off year. It would be interesting to see what she could do there. Um, ben, what were your other takeaways from some good races at Drake?
1: I think it's worth noting the performances by the 10-man elite training group. Uh, the 10-man elite group is based out of Boulder, Colorado, Hosted by famous Let's Run poster Tom Tinman Schwartz Critical velocity Absolutely CV pace baby So in the 5k Drake alum Reed Fisher Repeated as 5k champion Running under 1340 for the first time Leading most of the race And this is a testament to how the Tinman guys like to race They believe they're hardworking, Almost like lumberjack-esque workers Some have said I'm built like a lumberjack So I would fit in well You make pancakes like one. (laughs) This racing approach was also shown in the men's mile by Sam Parsons and Drew Hunter, who are also a part of that awesome training group. Uh, With a lap to go, both of them were in the front, with Drew narrowly missing the win.
0: Yeah, the Hunter story will be fun to watch uh, in the near future here. Um, For those who remember, in recent years, Hunter was a sub-four-minute high school miler. Uh, He was committed to Oregon and instead decided to go pro. He was training on his own under Schwartz at first and is now out in Boulder healthy again. And it'll be fun to see just how fast he can get and what he does in his push for the 2020 Olympics.
1: Especially with training partners now. Yeah,
0: that doesn't hurt. But let's not forget who actually won the mile. Eric Avila. Eric Avila. Good for this guy. Get this man a sponsorship. And us while you're at it, please. Let's head out of Iowa and fast forward a week and go to the West Coast. Peyton Jordan, always a great invite for distance racing. And the headliner there is 17-year-old Scandinavian sensation Jacob Ingebrigtsen, who wins the 1500. And it's not so much that he did it, but how he did it. 3.39, a personal best, but not necessarily world class. In fact, not even family class. He is still the third fastest member of his family. Behind his brothers by six seconds. Six seconds, yeah. That's a pretty big number uh, in the 1500s. So it's not so much about him running 3.39. It's more about who he beat and how. This was a world-class field eric jenkins paul chilemo olympic gold medalist matthew centrowitz who's been uh, down under busting some rust early in the season uh and not only did he do that he did it with a great final 200 kick he said in the post-race interview he was kind of waiting around for someone to make a move and it felt like no one was so heck why not do it and just beat all these olympians um Pretty impressive from the 17-year-old, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do. He is also the youngest man to ever go sub-four minutes in the mile. did that as a 16-year-old, and he certainly uh, brings to mind some famous names like Alan Webb and...
1: Justin Bieber. Justin
0: Bieber. He, he does have that Bieber look. I was going to go with Jim Ryan, but uh, those two are sometimes just interchangeable, depending on what circles you run in.
1: Uh, What else did you see at Peyton Jordan, Benji? Well, we definitely saw the NAU distance squad carry over that success from the cross course. Um, In the 10K, we saw Tyler Day and Matthew Baxter run the number one and three times in the NCAA for this year, running under 2810 for the first time for both of them, which was awesome. And then we saw Andy Truard, the indoor 3000 champion from NCAAs, uh, run under 14 minutes for the first time in the 5K. Shattering fourteen minutes, running thirteen twenty-one, being only beat by Justin Knight. Uh, Pretty good company, right world there. World championship finalists.
0: Yeah, and uh, it takes us back to Truard holding off Knight indoors over the winter. Um, they are really building something special in Flagstaff. The past few years have just been outstanding. Uh, that may be the current dynasty in collegiate distance running up on the Ponderosa, they are certainly in there historically with uh, the programs we think of like Oregon, Stanford, uh, Arkansas over
1: time. Speaking to the construction of this dynasty, Jared Kornfeld, the uh, assistant coach over there in Flagstaff, released a current NAU 5K list. This had their number 10 guy at fourteen fourteen in the 5K and had seven men under 14 minutes in the 5K on their current squad.
0: That's pretty special. Uh, now, I might say that the run in elite here might challenge that. I think we have four guys under 20 um, when, healthy and, when healthy. When healthy. When healthy and, healthy. and primed. Uh, you know, can still get scooting a little bit. But yeah, that that is uh, a pretty impressive stat line from NAU. It'll be great to see what they do now at NCAA Outdoors and, and how they carry this forward. But their performances over the past couple years have been a thing of beauty. So let's transition now to our, our uh, last segment. Uh, as we interview people in the future, we're going to take them through what we call the bell lap, some rapid-fire questions. Uh, in this case, I'm going to have... Uh, special guest, Benjamin Sessions, go through some random thoughts in the bell lap. He's going to tie things together here with what he has seen on the track and the road over the past month. Uh, hit me with some quick stuff,
1: Ben. So I'll tell you what event gets me excited, the steeplechase. Love it. And right now, no one runs the steeplechase like BYU. Ed Istone, Stone first national champion in the steeplechase about 15 years ago, and he's seen huge success in the event again after their huge cross-country season. They currently have four guys with in the top nine of the NCAA this year. Also exciting was that the U.S. Half Marathon Championships was this weekend.
0: Yeah, on a challenging course in uh, Pittsburgh, and we had a couple breakthroughs there.
1: Definitely. We saw Christopher Derrick of the Bowerman Track Club win his first national title on the roads, having won the cross-country title in 13, 14, and 15. Then we saw Parker Stinson who y'all remember from leading CIM for so long this winter mm-hmm. before ultimately learning to respect the marathon distance a little bit more. Uh, and then Zap Fitness, local runner, uh, Andrew Colley, an NC State grad, uh, running third.
0: Yeah, great competition there. Um, good win for Derek. Good to see that. Hopefully he can stay healthy and, and continue that success. Um, on the women's side, we saw the debut of Gwen Jorgensen. She finished fourth. Um in, in a very respectable showing, I, I guess I should say rephrase that, the Bowerman Track Club debut of Gwen Jorgensen, who certainly roads. has certainly run this distance before. Yeah, so we got to see her um, with some good track results at 5K and 10K. Now we see her at the half. The ultimate goal is to take the former Olympic triathlete and, I guess, potentially move her to become an Olympic marathoner, which would be uh, quite a feat. As a tangent here, real quickly, I will say Bowerman Track Club has also had some pretty great success here recently, um, going all the way back through Shalane and New York and, and all the victories that they've had recently. Uh, what else is
1: on your mind, Ben? Uh, it came out this week that Asbel Kiprop had some samples come back positive for performance enhancing drugs. Both the A and the B. Um, testing he, positive. He, of course, denies these, uh, saying that they have been tainted. Um, yeah, I guess he, we'll had a, see.
0: he had a pretty complicated uh, bribery scandal story to cover up, but according to um, the International Testing Authority, he has tested positive, and you're looking at one of the great 1,500 runners of all time, certainly uh, one of the elite of the elite over the past um, decade or so. So before we wrap up, I'd like to, again, thank our sponsor, run in in greenville and everyone who takes the time to listen and we look forward to following up with more episodes interviews and analysis in the future please subscribe on soundcloud and apple podcasts and leave positive reviews if you feel called benjamin thank you for joining me tonight it has been a pleasure
1: thank you for having me
0: yeah buddy and we will be back soon Look forward to sharing more thoughts from the road, track, and trail as we move forward. Everybody have a great week.